Up next, Biz 503, the Portland-centric podcast for startups and small businesses. We believe it, we live it, and there's something about Brand Portland that has taken a meteoric rise in our world. There is definitely something about Brand Portland. Welcome to a new season of Biz 503, the podcast for startups and small businesses on Portland Radio Project. I'm Rebecca Webb. Glad you could join us. Do you know what a gummy berry is? It's small. No, I did not say gummy berry. <laughs> it's a small and purposeful plant. Not only bears fruit, but enriches the earth around it so other plants can thrive. Gomi is not only in the name of a Portland startup, but it's a perfect symbol for the nurturing ecosystem of PDX entrepreneurs. That's what Nastasia Voisin learned when she attended the first ever Built Up Festival this fall in Portland. My name is Lily Yo, co-founder and CEO of Gomi Kids. So Gomi Kids, give us the um, real quick elevator pitch on that. Baby accessories and apparel company started in Portland, Oregon seven years ago. And there is a bit of a mission statement behind what you do in terms of being not just a company that makes clothing wear, but also does good. Can you please give us the nutshell on that? We'd like to think of ourselves are in the business of making small mighty, whether that's baby mittens that help protect babies from scratches and germs, all the way to helping rescued human trafficking victims stay rescued with uh, 10% proceeds that we give back to that effort. So in essence, we're not just making goods. We definitely do good, not just for our babies, but the planet that they inherit. Okay, so let's talk about the challenges that a company that wants to not just make profits, but also wants to give back to the world faces, specifically maybe in a business climate like Portland, which is full of social interested entrepreneurs. I think in many ways, there's the obvious potential disadvantage where the proceeds that you would normally be using to reinfuse back into the business, now you've committed, right, to give that back. But that has never been an issue for us. There's always been more than enough to refuel back to the business. Uh, and more importantly, it served as a benefit to us. One, certainly our consumers and our customers both um, love that part about why they buy Gomi product, that it's not just good for a baby, but it's good for the planet. So Portland is a city that's very interested in the environment and doing social good. What's currently sort of simmering on the top of a lot of business culture here in town is geared toward this idea of don't just make money, do good things with that money, do good things with your business. Was that part of the inspiration behind what you did with your company? Yes. I think we just didn't know any other way. Not by virtue of our companies that we were working for weren't giving back, but by virtue of being uh, perhaps a corporate worker, you just sort of have this sort of siloed experience. And siloed experience is certainly moms re-entering into that workplace. So the genesis of it was, what if we created a company that we absolutely would love to work for, that it doesn't feel like work, and yet allows us truly to be moms first, entrepreneurs second? Do you feel as if the Portland business scene is uniquely geared to help folks like you that want to do good as well as make profits? Absolutely. Can't find a better place, to be honest with you, I think, in other world. And I travel a lot. It's one of those things where somehow in the environment, in the space that we find ourselves in, where there's a deep respect for our environment and the people that inhabit it, we would feel inauthentic not to create products that give back. So while Portland is a hotbed for all of this social good in terms of linking that with business, is there a challenge in stepping beyond the Portland business pool when you want to reach customers that maybe are not necessarily thinking that that's part of what business is about? Yes and no. 
Yes and no, for sure. You know, we operate now in 46 countries. When we try to do, you know, to share our whole mission to to our customers and potential distributors, we'll get comments sometimes that say, well, yeah, but, you know, that give back is not very relevant to the customer. It saddens me. And on the flip side, where resoundingly we'll hear that I'm purposely buying this product or supporting you because I believe in your mission more than anything else. So we get kind of both ends of the spectrum. It just depends on the pocket. But I think what's also helped, we believe it, we live it here in Portland. And there's something about brand Portland that has taken a meteoric rise in our world in terms of relevance, our lifestyle, our values, you know, working full speed ahead, categorical living, that doesn't necessarily make us a happier race. Um, but when we choose to live a bit more balanced or uh, more holistically, that what we do does impact the greater earth that we share, we tend to sort of feel more at peace inside about our part in it. Let's dig briefly into some specifics for folks who are going to be tuning in and wondering, well, I'm an entrepreneur, I would love to do good in my company, but I'm a little intimidated because I know that so many startups tank and a huge part of that is not having enough capital. What would you say to these folks? I would say never lose sight of your consumer. Nail your value proposition for them. What is the value that you're offering to them that's relevance? If you address relevance, I tend to believe that half of your battle is over. Um, you, You just can't ever let off that question. Am I relevant to them? And they will change. I started, we started selling to Gen X moms when we started. Those Gen X moms now have third graders. Uh, we are now having to talk to Gen Y moms and the way that they will find out about us is very different. So maintaining relevance is absolutely critical. The other piece is business fundamentals in terms of survival, right? You have to be able to run your economics in a way that's going to make you last. I think one of the things that I didn't realize helped us so much survive was that very economic kind of philosophy that we have to just be lean to to make these critical choices. And because we just stayed in market long enough, we were able to, you know, get over a certain hump that, that finally got us the traction that we needed. And having that kind of austerity, you know, of economics early on helps you survive that much longer. So Portland's business scene seems to be going through an evolution where it was focused originally mainly on tech. Now it's shifting a lot to consumer products and a lot of apparel is coming out of that. Is that a challenge for folks who want to jump in that industry in terms of thinking of it as oversaturated? No, I don't think so. When you think about where we are and what Portland's relevance is in the entrepreneurial community in the U.S., we have an apparel footwear cluster. To not be involved in apparel cluster here or if that's something that you want to do, this is where you need to be anyways to to tap into the talent, to tap into advisory and the decades of experience that have been built here. Uh, with that said, any business fundamental will tell you, you have to find your point of differentiation and relevance. You could be making anything. Um, so saturation only means that you did not find the opportunity to be relevant. So if you find that, by all means, work your loose brick into the marketplace. So what you're doing as a socially responsible business is still somewhat unique in the global perspective. Would you like to carve out a couple of nuggets, surprising or unorthodox advice to give to people who have previously been on the profit-only track? The more, the greater convention people ask you is like, know your exit strategy uh, before you enter, 
right? Um, and I would add to that and or perhaps even change that because you don't know what your exit strategy will be like. You don't know how you're going to change. The point of endeavoring in an entrepreneurial journey is that you are ready to be completely altered in and out. So my bigger advice to that would be know your scorecard. What is it that you are doing this for? Know that in and out because there's so much noise and so many decisions you have to make as an entrepreneur. It's easily overwhelming. But if you have this litmus of what your scorecard is, it will help you plumb and navigate the sea of ambiguity and save a whole heck of a lot of energy and strife in the process. Well, let's talk about what's on your scorecard. Specifically, what is the most rewarding part of what you do as a businesswoman? Gosh, there's so many. There's so many. One of the things that I personally sought out uh, in this journey to sort of test my hypothesis on, that definitely is a scorecard item, is uh, I wanted to see if I was truly born to be an entrepreneur. I had inklings and intuition that told me so. And finally, I had my chance and by and large, I learned it probably in the six months in that I was really born to do this. Pretty freaking awesome. And and I think for me, that's probably the single biggest scorecard item for me that just do what you're made to do. All else will fall into place. Imagine if a world where we are all born to do what we're really designed for, we'd probably all be happier and make better things and do better things to our planet, maybe nicer to each other while we're at it. We'll hear from two entrepreneurs who also find the PDX startup scene nurturing like a gummy berry and how they were inspired to create a product they needed themselves but couldn't find on the market when we come back. Support for Biz 503 comes from acreative.agency, specializing in marketing, automation, and web development. For more, go to acreative.agency. Welcome back to Biz 503, the podcast for startups and small businesses on Portland Radio Project. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rebecca Webb. It's no coincidence that this fall 2017, Portland played host to the Built Up Festival, celebrating local brands and makers. Our startup ecosystem is becoming legendary. And one reason Nishtasia Voisin found out when she attended was that entrepreneurs had the tenacity when they couldn't find the product they wanted to make it themselves. My name is Lynn Lee, and I'm the founder of Society9. We're the brand for the fight within every woman, and we make contemporary women's boxing gear and apparel. So you founded this company in part to solve a personal frustration of yours. Could you walk us through that? And when you made that step from something that was just irritating you to get in your hands dirty with a product. I started Society9 largely because I was, one, I was the customer, but I was also interacting with people who would end up being my future customers because I was an instructor. So I was teaching kickboxing at the time, and a lot of my female students consistently asked me, where can I find good women's gear? And then the more I kept getting these questions from uh, my female students, I realized that I didn't have a good answer for them, and I asked myself why, like why not? Long story short, Ended up with a prototype eventually, August 2014. And then at that point as well, we got um, a grant from PDC, now Prosper Portland, um, in the 2014 Startup PDX Challenge. And that enabled me to quit my job. And then 2015 was a survival year. 
trying to make it through our first round of production. And then uh, once we 100% fulfilled all of our backers, that was our first year in business. Honing down specifically on the funding part, was it a smooth rise after that initial injection or was it a bit more of a scrappy fight? It was more of a scrappier fight because the challenge though was people really underestimate the cost of starting a business. And that would be probably one of like my biggest pieces of advice I would give to any founder or aspiring founder is always budget more than you think you need. I mean, amongst the many other things, it's very easy to just forget. For sure. So the city of Portland was instrumental in that first push by dropping that grant. What other ways has Portland business scene supported you, whether that's community, co-working space, networking, and so forth? Career-wise, I actually worked for Portland Seed Fund as an associate, and that really built my own personal network in the investment community. And so when I started working on Society9 and was you know, building a customer base, growing the business, et cetera. I was pitching the business around town to people that I had met during Portland Seed Fund. That was really critical and instrumental to the company's continued growth. You know, I was really lucky that um, was able to find investors who really believed in the vision and the potential of this brand. And um, they've been a critical and instrumental part of its continued success to this day. But having said that, you know, I honestly got my start in building my network when I was a sophomore in college at the University of Portland. I went to tons of events. I got business cards. I started building relationships with people who ended up being really critical in my continued growth. And now that I'm, you know, an entrepreneur and trying to make it happen in the trenches myself, it's like I, I see both perspectives. So let's talk about the fact that you have launched this uh, apparel company in a city that is fascinated by not just consumer goods, but by apparel. We have Nike, we have Under Armour, we have Adidas in town. How has that shaped your journey? And have you spoken to other entrepreneurs who have likewise been stimulated by the fact that you're surrounded by all these titans? So being in Portland, I think has been, what I love about it, honestly, is one, accessibility to just quality talent as well as quality mentors and advisors. I have to say, like anytime I have a knowledge app in something, it's unbelievably easy to fill that knowledge gap. The other thing I really love too is that like building a business here, it's really nice that everybody really operates on like a reasonable work-life balance. I mean, a lot of people <laughs> like to joke that Portland's full of like dirty hippies who are like late to every meeting because they're so chill or whatever. It's not like LA and New York where people are like, you know, running around all the time. And there's merits to that, but I appreciate the fact that there's a bit of a cultural aspect with Portland where like if I'm sitting in traffic I know when I'm sitting in traffic in LA I go nuts but here it's like if I'm sitting in traffic like it's annoying sure but it's kind of like hmm, like everyone else is sitting here so whatever and I think you can only appreciate that when you're in Portland. There are obviously so many reasons why a business sinks or swims and you are still swimming I would love to talk about some of the character traits that you feel are particularly instrumental in allowing an entrepreneur to stay in the game. I think that what keeps entrepreneurs going, and this you can't teach, it's like, it's something that you, it's a muscle that you have to train. Um, I think it just really takes grit because honestly, the balance of great things that happen versus the balance of challenges and mistakes and all that stuff, it really weighs heavier on mistakes because the truth is, is that no matter how many businesses have succeeded in the past before you, like your story is still your own, you know, your startup, your company, it's a whole new story that has never been written before. And because of that, no one has written the book to success. And so 
I think that grit is the number one thing. Grit and endurance, because I, what's really difficult, especially for founders, is you are in a very anxiety-ridden kind of position. You're in a pressure cooker. And it it's very easy to quit. It's very easy to really sink when you have a failure, you make a mistake or whatever. Um, but if you are able to find a way to, to remind yourself of what it's what all of this is for. For me, I have um, an email folder in my inbox called Morale, and it's where I put customer emails um, when people are like, your gloves are so amazing. Every single time I wear them, I feel like a gladiator. I mean, just like stuff like that, right? You have to have little reasons or little reminders throughout your day of why you do it. And, and I can guarantee you more often than not, it has nothing to do with revenue. So let's wrap this up by talking about the Portland community. What is it about the Portland business scene that you find most inspiring? Um, I think what I find most inspiring about the Portland community is people's general like kindness. It t- can take you aback sometimes because you're just like, don't you need to be a little like you know grittier, a little tougher, you know, a little. Um, but here it's like people are so chill that sometimes you just want to shake them and be like, come on, get mad at me, you know, like. <laughs> but yeah, people are just so stupid nice here. For the days where you're you know exhausted, you're stressed, maybe you're pissed at something or you're angry at traffic and you're like honking your horn, then you interact with somebody and they're just so freaking nice. So that goes back to the whole, like, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, you're like tired, you're stressed, you're like, girl, but then you talk to someone real nice in the street and then you're okay. I feel like for me, that's been why I continue to stay here besides like talent, advisory, et cetera, access to resources. It's also just when I am in my private moments and my personal time, it's nice to just be grounded. It's really as simple as that sounds, you know, whether I want to go to the mountain, go hike or, or whatever, or just like walk down the street and feel the breeze and sip on some really nice coffee. It's, uh, it's the place. It is indeed. And we have one more story why after a short break. Thanks to acreative.agency, specializing in marketing, automation, and web development. For more, go to acreative.agency. around Portland with its outgrowth of facial hair, you might be surprised to learn there's a market for a new line of locally made razors. But there is. Welcome back to Biz 503. We sent podcast producer Nastasia Voice into the Built Up Festival to confirm. I'm Scott Miyako. I'm a co-founder of Portland Razor Company. We're a manufacturer in southwest Portland. We make handmade straight razors and strops and other shaving accessories. So a lot of entrepreneurs start a business, especially in the sort of maker sphere, because they've realized that they want a tool that is not available. Is that your story or do you have a different inspiration? That's probably exactly our story. It basically started with about six years ago, I really wanted to change up my shaving routine. I was getting upset that I was using razor blades and throwing them away like weeks after buying them. Financially, it's just ridiculous to keep on buying more and more razor blades and, you know, paying into the razor and blade business model. And so I started looking for a better alternative. Uh, Finally landed on straight razors, which I'm very big into finding the best tool for the job, being a maker. And I really just kind of really dove 
dove deep into straight razors and I was like, this is definitely the best tool for the job. Yeah, I just really got into straight razors and realized at the time that the only way to get a straight razor was either one to import one from Germany or France. You could um, commission a custom straight razor to be made or you could find a vintage razor and then restore it yourself, all which kind of have their different hurdles of, you know, how to get a working straight razor. And so me being a, a maker myself, I kind of just took it upon myself to be like, well, I could also teach myself how to make one of these. And maybe that would be the best way to actually help share the advantages that I found in, in using a straight razor. You're a maker, you're not in tag, you're not in apparel, which is one of the hot areas of the Portland business sector. But it's also one that's newer and it's a little more hands-on. It's not as orthodox. It's not as flashy. Can you talk to us about the unique angle of the funding process for someone who's a maker as opposed to someone with a fancy new gadget or app? For our particular company, the funding for us was that I sold a lot of things that I owned. So, uh, you know, cars and sold instruments. Um, this really just started from yeah, a passion project of mine. So I didn't really go out and ask other people for investment or anything coming to someone with the idea to make an American made straight razor isn't as you know sexy as an idea of, of being able to make an app that you know millions of people can immediately download and being a maker poses some hurdles when you're when you're trying to convince people that uh, your passion idea can actually either be scalable or um, that anyone else is going to actually care about it. Sounds very scrappy. Portland may not be necessarily set up with the mindset all the time of looking at makers and funding them. But is there a community? Is there a base? Is there a collective that you as a maker and entrepreneur can turn to for support? There's a ton of support in Portland. And that's that's one of the reasons why we chose Portland um, to start the business in in the first place. Um, actually, uh, when we came up with the idea for Portland Razor Company, we were living in Southern California. And uh, I had my own maker type business in Southern California at the same time too. I was building custom guitar amplifiers. I mentioned I was a musician as well. When we came up with the idea for Portland Razor Company, we, we realized just LA was not the place to start this type of business. And we had visited Portland many times and and had also just kind of gotten a sense just in being in Portland that there was a small business community and there was pioneering the maker movement. So we kind of just came out to Portland with this idea and luckily met Kelly Roy, who is from ADX um, Art Design Portland, who uh, allowed us to use 100 square feet in her warehouse community makerspace. And just starting at ADX, we we met a ton of other makers. It's very collaborative. It's always nice to like meet other makers. They're always willing to bounce ideas off of each other. Yeah, there's a wealth of knowledge, but most importantly in Portland, there's people who are willing to share that knowledge. I feel like I hadn't uh, really experienced that in LA or other places that I've been. Let's then drill down into challenges. So every entrepreneur faces similar challenges in some ways, like you all have to make profit, you all have to show your investors that you're making money, you have to sell your goods. What are some of the challenges that a entrepreneur who's also a maker uniquely has to face? Probably one of the biggest challenges that makers face is that as makers, I feel like we are very product-centric companies, meaning that um, the product is what's most important to us. And the challenge really comes in when you want to sell that product to a consumer, you also have to consider what the consumer is willing to pay for that product. How you're going to convince that consumer that what you're building is you know, worth their money. Um, and so it's very easy as a maker to fall into the trap of trying to figure out how to cut costs or you have to battle with sacrificing quality of the product just to make a sale. And definitely in the beginning when 
uh, your business is small and you're worried about whether what you're doing is is uh, something that is ever going to catch on at all, it's very difficult to yeah look at the numbers and look at how much money you're making and, and wonder if this were just cheaper or if I could just do this quicker or if I could just outsource this one thing, would I be able to sell more product? So yeah, it's definitely challenging, but in our experience, it's it's really good in the beginning to to set up your mission and and really define what you're trying to do and it helps you make those hard decisions. Uh, for us, we wanted it to be uh, completely handmade, completely handmade in Portland. Uh, we really wanted there to be an emphasis on that we were going to build a product that was going to last uh, a lifetime or mul- yeah, multiple lifetimes. Um, so just knowing that uh, our ultimate goal is to make something so that someone could buy a razor and never have to throw away a razor ever again really helped us make those decisions to always keep quality high and uh, keep it handmade in Portland. And this focus on Portland seems to be across your whole company because you are the Portland Razor Company. Is there something about the Portland brand, especially the Portland maker brand, that is helpful as a launch pad for entrepreneurs who want to make goods? Yeah, Portland's definitely always been a hub and become a, a major hub for, um, I mean, yeah, it's a huge brand for for makers. We definitely lean on uh, you know, the fact that we are in Portland as, as part of our brand. Even from the outside of other maker communities, um, they look at Portland and um, they really uh, respect and and like that consumers in Portland tend to be a little bit more educated on where, uh, you know, where the products that they buy are coming from and are they environmentally friendly and and uh, consumers tend to really appreciate that they're supporting a, a craftsman or a maker. Um, and I think uh, Portland in that way is, is fairly unique compared to um compared to other places. Lastly, I would like to ask for advice that you would like to pass on to an aspiring maker, an entrepreneur who has a fabulous idea, design, or they want to overcome this hurdle of an absence in the market. What would you say to them that you have learned along this journey that you would like to help them avoid a mistake? Probably one of the few entrepreneurs who who spreads this idea and it, and it's, I guess it can be dangerous with me saying this, but I really, if you have an idea for a, a product or you have an idea for a business and you really, uh, you really believe in it, um, there's a lot of things with starting a business that there's, there's so many hurdles to start a business that it can, it can, uh, get to the point where you can come up with as many cons yeah, for starting the business and then pros and you know, like with having to find funding or having to make a business, a business plan and all of these things. And I kind of just say, if you truly have the passion, then you should just you should just go for it. You'll figure out all of those things along the way. You'll figure out how to write the business plan to get the funding and all of those things. Um, especially for a maker, I mean, we we make things, we make products. So the easiest thing to do is to actually just make the product, and then once you actually have the product, then you can you can test it on people and and show it to them. But it starts with actually just. Uh, just making the product. You can design it on paper for as long as you want and come up, like I said, the longer you look at something, almost the longer you doubt yourself that you're going to make anything that's actually worthwhile. So I, I, I just say, if you have an idea, you know, start cutting the wood, start, you know, bending the metal, just, just start by making the product first, and then you'll figure out the rest of the business side. Unorthodox and very brave advice. Thank you so much, Scott. And thank you, Nishtasia Voisin. Along with editor Daniel Lin, I'm Rebecca Webb. Thanks for joining us on Biz 503. Next week, it's all about Vancouver, the Couve, next Friday at 1 on Biz 503. Stay tuned for the debut of Sound Tasting, a podcast on food and music at 2 o'clock.